You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Did you know that every four years, Nazarenes um, join together for a general assembly? It's happening in Indianapolis this year. In fact, it happens this weekend. 20,000 Nazarenes will come from all over the world. It's such a great event. And uh, we deal with lots of things um, at the assembly. We will have wonderful worship services. And guess who's going to be leading those worship services? Our own worship leader, Nick Robertson. Isn't that exciting that he'll be there doing that? And then lots of our additional staff will be there. And uh, so you can pray for them. Your former pastor, Dr. David Busick, is a general superintendent. Pray for him. And uh, we're just believing that we're going to have great, great meetings together. God's going to meet us there, and it's going to be a great time. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about confidence, okay? Confidence. So I felt like that we really need to be on the same page as we talk about confidence. So I want to give you a definition. You ready for this? Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. Okay? So it's it's the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. So what are you relying on? I, I might begin by asking you, do you have confidence? And you would probably say, well, in what? You know? Um, in my salvation, yes. In my golf swing, not so much right now. It's not going so well. Um, and, and so if you have confidence, uh, I'm asking you, well, you know, about your salvation. Um, about living the life God has called you to live. About living into becoming the person that God dreams about you becoming. Do you have confidence that one day... You're going to make it to heaven. And and the second question I would ask you is, what is your confidence in or who is your confidence in? Who or what are you relying on? I want to give you a verse from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7, okay? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. So you may say in regard to salvation, if I ask you to believe that that you're doing well and that you're going to make it to heaven, you may say, I do believe that, Rick. And if I said, why do you believe that? You may say, well, I've been doing pretty good lately. I've been living a pretty good life. That tells me that your confidence is in your own ability to live a good life. But if you said, I'm confident that I'm going to go to heaven because of the grace that God has extended me through Jesus and salvation is a gift that God has given me, then I would say your confidence is in him. And Jeremiah says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Would you say this verse with me? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And so here's what I want you to do for these next few minutes that we're going to spend together. I desperately want you to really struggle with the question I'm going to put on the screen. And I don't want a pat answer that says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trusting God. I want to know if you really are trusting God. And so here's what I want you to work through over these next few minutes we spend together. 
Where have you placed your confidence? What are you relying on? What are you believing in? I'm talking about when you look into your future, your ability to work through problems and situations, the hope of making it to heaven one day, the desire to become the person that God dreams about me becoming. Where have you placed your confidence? So I want to take you to Philippians, okay? Philippians chapter 1, and I'll read those first 11 verses. There's a guy named Paul who is a missionary slash tent maker. He's bivocational. He does missionary work, but on the side, he makes tents to support himself. He never wanted to rely on the offerings of the people of, of the church. And, and he writes one day a letter to a small group of persecuted Christians in the city of Philippi. He had planted a church there years earlier, and, and now he writes to them to encourage them because they're being persecuted as Christians. He has been thrown in prison, and he's writing from Ephesus. And so he wants to kind of lift them up. He also wants to thank them for their generosity. So when you're a prisoner in Paul's day, they don't give you food. You have to rely on your friends and family to bring you food to eat. So they took up an offering. And he says thanks so much for taking up the offering. Because I know that you're living in poverty yourselves. But you, you're you sharing some of out of your poverty with me. So thanks for helping me to be able to have food to eat. And then he just appeals to them to stay close to one another. Stay united in the faith. So here we go. Verse 1. He starts with the greeting. And Paul fills the greeting with theological content. You ready? Paul and Timothy. Timothy was the guy who he called his son in the faith. He's like a fellow missionary. Servants of Christ Jesus. Literally, servants is slaves. A lot of humility here. Give me a title. Okay, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm at his disposal. Whatever Jesus wants me to do, I'm here to do. To all God's holy people, some translate saints... Meaning that God has made you holy. God has done a work in your heart. God has set you aside to accomplish his purposes. In Christ Jesus. You are now in Christ. You you, you live with this unity in Jesus. And there at Philippi. Together with the overseers and deacons. Grace. You've experienced God's favor poured out on your lives. Peace. This wholeness that comes through God's saving work. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greeting. Then he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. I thank God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. You find the word joy 16 times in this letter that he writes from prison. A guy that shouldn't be very joyful talks a lot about joy, right? Because of your partnership in the gospel... You guys have been partners with me in sharing the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, there's that word confident that we're talking about today, of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. So whether I'm in chains, whether or not I'm in prison, or I'm just out preaching, defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you. In other words, I'd give anything if I could see you guys. 
with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he prays a prayer of intercession. This is what I want God to do for you. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Meaning, I want you to love even more than you do. And I want you to have good moral discernment. And also, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the people said, thanks be to God. I uh, I brought a picture that I wanted to show you. Um, Here's the picture. And by the way, the guy is not a male model. That's actually me. And I'm standing in the valley of Elah. Anybody remember from your Old Testament, the battle, the valley rather, of Elah? Let me give you another picture. This is where I was standing over here. You see the mountain here, the mountain here. The Israelites had camped here with their great army and Saul as their king. The the awful dreaded Philistines, the enemies of the Israelites are camped over here. The battle is going to take place in the plain. And every morning they would send out the giant Goliath. And he would taunt the Israelites. And he would say, hey, why should we have all this bloodshed? Just just send one man, one man down. Let me fight him. And nobody in the Israelite army was willing to go. And one day a young shepherd boy named David comes to bring his brothers who are fighting in Saul's army some food. And he sees the giant and he begins to ask questions. And then he volunteers this young boy, I'll go fight the giant. And the king actually sends him to fight the giant. Now, you and I face giants in our lives, right? Problems we can't solve. Situations we don't have a remedy for. Challenges we don't see how in the world we can ever overcome them. We, we face giants often in our lives. Challenges and problems that seem unsurmountable to us. Right, right now, as you're looking at me, there's some of you thinking to yourself, Pastor Rick, this is the giant I'm facing right now. It's what keeps you awake at night. It's that one thing that you say, if I could defeat this giant, then my life could be good again. And the giant taunts you. Like Goliath taunted the Israelites. And at times you believe this giant will never be defeated. That life will never be better. It demoralizes you. Sometimes it immobilizes you. You feel stuck. You feel like you can't move forward in life. Because I've got this giant in my life that I can't defeat. And I don't know if this giant will ever be defeated. You're facing a giant today. And so this young boy, David, he picked up five stones. Remember, when Annette and I stood in the Valley of Elah, on that day we picked up five stones and we took them home with us. 
And with the sling, the giant is defeated. One shot. Here's what's interesting to me. David does two things in that story. Number one, he admits that he cannot defeat the giant. He never says, I can do this. You know what he says? I love the language. This is the Lord's battle. He will conquer you. (laughs) So when you think about the giant that you're facing today in your life, don't approach it by saying, I can do this. No, no, no. Say, this is the Lord's battle. He's going to conquer this giant. This giant's bigger than me. I'm putting this giant in God's hands. The Lord will conquer this giant. This is his battle. And the second thing that he does is he says, I'm going to focus on God. Everybody else is talking about the giant. It's all they're talking about. Read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. They're talking about the giant. You know what David talks about? God. He focuses himself on God and what God can do. So you're facing a giant in your life today. Let me challenge you. Admit to yourself, I can't defeat this giant. This is the Lord's battle. He will conquer the giant. And I'm just going to keep my eyes fixed on God and what he can accomplish. You see, David knew that he served a God who could defeat giants. His confidence was in God. Paul, in the book of Philippians, His confidence was in God. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Here's what he does. He says to the people in the church at Philippi, um, I thank God when I pray for you because of your partnership in the gospel. You guys have come along beside me. You have given me money when you didn't have money to give. You stood beside me when everybody else was ashamed of me because I was in prison and they walked away. You have shared your faith in the fear of being persecuted and you didn't quit when the going got tough. You have prayed like crazy that we could share Jesus with more and more people. I mean, when I think about you guys, I think about how you have partnered with me in this desire to share Jesus with everybody. But interestingly, Paul's confidence was not in the believers at Philippi. He never says, and my confidence is in you. No. Interestingly, Paul also does not assign his confidence to his own abilities. He says in chapter 3, he says it this way. I put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in what I can accomplish or what I can do in my own strength. And he says, if you want to talk about me for a minute, I'd be happy to. He says it like this. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I was born into the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As for the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness of the law, I have been found faultless. But he says, I have no confidence in all of that. The reason I ask you to think about where your confidence is. Is because we are tempted To place our confidence in ourselves and in others. Chris and Hannah, as you go forward, 
Your confidence has to be in God. If the Holy Spirit does not work through them, they have nothing to offer. If God doesn't move in mighty ways, they have nothing to give. Our confidence is not in what we can accomplish and not in turning to others. But Paul knew where to place this confidence. Annette and I were in Nashville uh, a few weeks ago visiting Annette's mom. Annette's mother is 91. She is incredible for 91. We're getting ready to leave her house during rush hour traffic. And we're going to have to drive from one side of Nashville all the way to the other. And on top of that, there's a storm that is just kind of approaching us. And so I say to Ruby, who is 91... Hey, we have to take two cars because I'm not coming back. Do you want Annette to drive your car? And she says, oh, no, I know where I'm going. I can drive. She says, would you rather ride with me or do you want Annette ride with me? I said, oh, no, I want Annette riding with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I said to her, you, you're okay to drive anywhere. She goes, yeah. She says, no, my reflexes aren't as fast as they were. So I try not to put myself in a position I have to rely on them. I don't follow too closely. And we didn't break the speed barrier on sound driving away. But she's incredible. Her mind is sharp. She reads like crazy. She serves others. She's always blessing somebody. She helps the old people all the time. So I'm telling you that because I want to not be confusing to you. And I think some of your minds could go here immediately. I'm not trying to get you to a place where you say, I can't really do anything. You know? Well, you can drive a car. It's okay to have confidence that you can drive. It's okay to have confidence that you can do your job. What I'm talking about this morning is this idea of where's your confidence when it comes to living this life that God has called me to live, living and to becoming the person that God envisions me becoming, making heaven my home one day. What did Jesus really mean when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing? What did Jesus mean when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing? And so Paul says to these people in Philippi, I see this good work that God has started in you. And all right, look at me right now. I want this to become personal because as your pastor, I got to say something to you, okay? Like Paul saw in the Philippian church, the good work that God had started in them, I see the good work that God has started in you. I watch you give. I watch you serve. I watch you love. I watch you go out of your way. I watch you seek to please God. I watch you seek to glorify him. I'm watching your lives as you're watching mine. And there are many, many times that I drive away from being with some of you thinking to myself, these are some of the best people God has on this earth. I see the good work that God has started in your life. I see it every day of my life. Nick told me the other day, I just put a little blurb on Facebook of a need and it was immediately filled by the people of our church. It's amazing to me what God is doing in some of your lives. Paul said, I see what God's doing in your life. And then here's what he says. And it's what I feel about you. Being confident of this. Here's where Paul's confidence is of this. That he who began a good work in you. I see what he's doing in you. 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, we see confidence, but we don't find the word self in it. We don't find the word others in it. The word that we find is he. My confidence is in him. My confidence is what God is doing in you and through you. And what God started in you, I'm talking to you right now. He is not going to abandon you. He is going to bring it to completion. I feel like it's really important that you look me in the eye for a minute. Let me just say this to you, okay? I want to tell you this morning that God is at work in your life. And he is continuing to do the good work that he started. And he's going to bring it to completion. You may have days when you struggle. You may have days when you feel like you're not very effective. Just come to Jesus and just say to him, I need your touch. He is working in your life. And God is going to start, finish rather what he started in you. Now lean in because in verse 27, here's what he says, all right? We know that salvation is God's work in you. But here's what he says in verse 27. Live your life in a manner that's worthy of the calling that Jesus Christ has placed on you. In other words, God has put you in this status. He has made you righteous in the eyes of God. Now, live your life every day saying, how can I honor God? How can I be worthy of this life that he's given me? How can I obey him? And so it's with that kind of confidence that Paul prays, God, help him to love even more. Help him to have good moral discernment. Because the lines get blurred in society. We get affected by our environment, right? Give them good moral discernment. Help them to see this is right and this is wrong. And help them to walk those lines. Fill them with your righteousness. God has started something in you. He will complete it. So live your life in a manner that's worthy of what God is doing in you. Amen? So, I've got a friend named Jeffrey. Anybody remember that I have a friend named Jeffrey? Talk about him a lot. He's just a close, close friend. He's a minister. He's a district superintendent down in South Texas. Heard him preach recently, and he talked about uh, this story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, the dreaded Philistines again, the enemies of Israel, um, capture Israel's Ark of the Covenant. You know what that was? It was a chest, cherubim wings on top of the chest. They carried it on poles that they slid through it. It it truly symbolized the presence of God. It was from the ark that God spoke to Moses. So how precious is this to the people of Israel? The Philistines capture it. Guess where they put it? Go to Ashdod, and they put it in the temple with Dagon, their god. The next morning, they go to the temple, and guess what? Dagon is falling on its face. So what do you do? They set him back up. The next morning, they come to their temple, 
And Dagon has not only fallen on his face, but his head is broken off and his arms are broken off. And the people of Ashdod are contracting terrible diseases. And they say, take the ark of God away from us because it is too heavy for us to bear. The pain it's bringing. Do you know what I think it's all about? Misplaced confidence. They relied on a God who could not come through. Their confidence was in a God who could not produce. They were confident, but they were confident in the wrong thing. And it let them down. My friend Jeffrey has a friend named Vital who lives many miles from here in Africa. And Vital said, Jeffrey, in Africa we have a song we sing about that story. And we say, we don't need a God that we have to carry. We need a God who will carry us. I was telling Nick about it and Nick said, well, I have a song that I sing about that. And so I I believe this morning in, in this affirmation of our faith in God. And, and for some of us, it's saying, I'm, I'm putting all of my confidence in God, in Him alone. It's God that is going to save me. It's, it's God that's going to help me to live into the person that He's called me to be. It's, it's God that's going to make it possible that I become the person He has envisioned me becoming. It is God who is going to get me to heaven. My confidence is in him. And, and so I just, I just want you to just say, okay, Lord, I'm opening my heart to hear what you have to say. And let's celebrate our faith in him. Put on a stand, oh God, I hold in the palm of my hand. I have a God that's holding me, and I don't have a God that I can create in the place I live with the money I make. I have a God, He made everything. I have a guy. 
him that's good and agree with him because I agree God came to us in the person of Jesus and today we celebrate his presence with us if you'll take the elements you were given when you came in if you'll remove the tab from the bread first and then the drink we also accept the grace that he offers us the grace to live in the life into the life that he envisions us living, to become the people he envisions us becoming. And so he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the ransom of many. Drink it and be thankful. And so, Father, thankful indeed we are for the grace that you offer us through your son, Jesus. 
believing that you started a good work in us and you will bring it to completion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we leave together, let's sing the doxology. Would you stand? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, today. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.